0: Sebastian Younger's book, The Perfect Storm, tells the story of the Andrea Gale. The Andrea Gale was a fishing boat that set sail out of Gloucester in October of 1991. She was trying to make one final catch before the end of the season. She was caught in what meteorologists call a perfect storm. Hurricane Irene was blowing in from across the Atlantic. There was a blast of Arctic air that was coming down out of Canada. Another storm was developing in the Grand Banks. And as the Andrea Gale was trying to make her way back to port, these three storms converged. The waves were 100 foot plus. No one survived. Everyone perished in that storm. You may find yourself in a perfect storm right now. Uh, The COVID crisis and its collateral damage may be converging in your life along with other storms that were already there. You may be experiencing a relational storm. The, The waves and the wind has been howling in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids for years. Your storm may be financial, just when you thought you were about to catch up, just when you thought that your, you know, retirement fund was going to be okay, there was going to be something there when you retired, COVID hits, and everything is thrown into chaos. Uh, it may be a physical storm, you were already sick prior to this, or, or in a category that is high risk, and, and there's fear, there's concern, there's a storm. Uh, the storm may be emotional. You're you've already had you know chaos in your heart. You're already struggling with mental health issues, and then the anxiety and the chaos that surrounds where the globe is, where the world is right now. Your storm may be spiritual. Your faith felt so fragile already, and now all of this is taking place. Whatever the case may be. It feels as though the storm is great. It feels as though 100-foot waves are crashing down upon your head. And the one thing you want to know is, where are you, God? Don't you care? Well, the disciples felt that way. And they asked that question in the text that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And in that passage, as we will read There was a storm, and yes, Jesus calmed the storm. However, the point of the passage, the moral of the story, is not trust Jesus and you'll have a storm-free life. The point of the story, as we'll see as we read it and as I unpack it, the things that we're meant to see here all center on Jesus. They all center on who He is, and then only secondarily and consequentially on what He can do for us. So there's three things that we need to see from this passage this morning. Three things that center on Jesus when it comes to the storms that we face in our own lives. First, the faith of Jesus in the storm. Second, the power of Jesus over the storm And then third, the purpose of Jesus through the storm. But first, let's read from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Hear the word of the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we are thankful that this story is in your word for us, that we have this historical account, so that from it we might get a greater glimpse and we pray a greater vision for who Jesus is and the kind of work that he does in the lives of those who look to him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the faith of Jesus in the storm. And let's look back at verses 35 through 38. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat, just as he was. All the other boats were with them, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, asleep. So, a storm. I mean, you know, this is the Sea of Galilee that they're on. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, just 30 miles to the north, and 9,200 feet above sea level is Mount Hermon. And this was, this was typical in a sense. Cold air would sweep down from the mountains and warm air would rise from the Sea of Galilee. And When they converged, there would often be strong thunderstorms and squalls. This was a severe one. Mark describes the windstorm. That word windstorm literally means a hurricane of wind. Matthew, in his account, in that account, is described as a seismos, an earthquake. That's how the storm is described. The main thing is these are experienced fishermen, and they're terrified. Now, two things that I think we need to be reminded of as we just think about what's happening in the setting here about Jesus. The first is, he really was that tired, all right, Jesus was asleep. He wasn't pretending to be asleep. It wasn't part of an object lesson. He was really that tired. He'd had a long day. This is at the end of the day they make their way across. he had had a long day of ministry, of, of healing people, of, of dealing with crowds that were surrounding him, of teaching people, and he was exhausted. We often forget the humanity of Jesus. And That's not even the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is his deity, but let's not miss his humanity. He really was that tired. However, he was able to sleep because at a deeper level, he really did have that kind of faith in the work of his heavenly Father. He was resting in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He had peace, Not because he thought, you know what, I'm never going to suffer. He he knew he was going to suffer. He had come to go to the cross and suffer and die. He could sleep. He could have peace. He could trust his heavenly Father because he knew his time had not yet come. And he knew that until that time had come, his Father would not take him. Now, there's a couple implications of this for our lives that I want us to see. First of all, concerning his humanity. His humanity reminds us that he understands our weakness. He understands our weakness. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, that's referring to Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now why mention that? Because the question that Jesus asks in verse 40, I think we need to hear it, with a level of compassion and empathy that maybe we read right past, that we don't recognize, is there in the heart of Jesus for these disciples. So down in verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I don't think we should read that in a condemnatory way, as if Jesus is frustrated with them, is angry with them, is saying, Why don't you get this? Why won't you get over your anxiety? Get your act together. We can hear that sometimes because we've heard that from other people in our lives. But that's not the heart of Jesus toward his people. Sure, it's a a bit of a mild rebuke, although he rebukes the wind. He speaks to his disciples. I think the question here is a lot like God's question to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. God comes to Adam and Eve after they sin and he says, where are you? He knows where they are. He's omniscient. It was more of a question for their benefit. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And I think, in a sense, we need to hear Jesus' question to his disciples in the same kind of a way. Why do you have no faith? Haven't you been with me long enough to know who I am? So his humanity reminds us that he understands his weakness But his faith gives us a glimpse of the kind of faith that God is working in us. Now I really need to qualify that. First of all, there's great risk in only looking to Jesus as an example. He is so much more than an example. And yet the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So there is a sense in which we look to Jesus and seek to emulate him, seek to walk in the way he walked, live in the way that he lived. In fact, the Bible does tell us that is the very thing that God is doing in us. He is transforming us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, which means that by grace, He is forming us into the kind of people who actually choose to do things the way Jesus did things. Choose to walk in obedience the way that Jesus walked in obedience. Therefore, the faith that Jesus demonstrates in this storm will never perfectly, and always haltingly, but because of God's grace, increasingly characterize us. So that means that there is a sense in which we too, along with Jesus, can rest in the fact that in the midst of any storm, God will not take us until our work is done. And so the work that he has for us to do here on earth is complete. God will not take us before, his, before our time, before the time that he has ordained for us, before the work that he's given us to do is completed. Lottie Moon was a missionary to China in the late 1800s and early 1900s. She faced, over the course of her 40 years of serving as an evangelist, serving as a missionary in China, Plague, famine, persecution, revolution, and war. She died at age 72 while she was on her way back to America from China. Earlier in her life, however, she had said this, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal till my work is done. I love that. And I think we can think that way. If God is sovereign, then the storm is never out of control as much as it may feel that way to us. If God is sovereign, if he has a purpose for us here on earth, and he will see to it that we accomplish that purpose, whatever it is, then although we don't know when our work on earth is done, we can know that we will not go to be home with him one second earlier than we ought to. Even in knowing that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the one who experienced peace in the storm, brings us a measure of peace in every storm. And so we can look to the faith of Jesus in this storm and be encouraged knowing that God is working in us by grace, never perfectly, often haltingly, But with certainty, progress into the kind of people who in the midst of any storm can exhibit the same kind of rest in the goodness of our Heavenly Father. So secondly, let's look at the power of Jesus over the storm. And that is what this text is mainly about. The whole point of this story is so that we can get a greater glimpse of who Jesus is. Remember, the first half of Mark's Gospel, Mark 1 to Mark 8, is mainly about Jesus' identity. Who he is as the Son of God who is bringing with him the kingdom of God into the earth. This passage is mainly about revealing who Jesus is. This is the first in a series of miracles that will demonstrate his authority. Right? So here we get him demonstrating his authority over nature in the passage that we're looking at this morning in uh, chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 we get a picture of him demonstrating his authority over the demonic realm in verses 25 through 34 of chapter 5 we get a picture of him demonstrating his authority over sickness and then in 5:35 to 30 to 43 we get him demonstrating his authority over death all these things this this whole half of the Of Mark, and especially this series of miracles that we're in, are meant to tell us that Jesus is God. So what are we seeing here in verse 39? Verse 39, let me read it. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. What are we supposed to get from that? What we're supposed to understand is that the God of Psalm 65 who stills the roaring of the seas, and the God of Psalm 89, who rules the raging of the sea, and the God of Psalm 107, as we just sang, who hushes the waves of the sea, is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. Jesus is God. And in verse 41, the disciples get that. They get that. Look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were afraid of the storm. They were terrified when they realized that there was one in the boat with them who was greater than the storm. When they realized that the one with them was God. And they worshipped. They worshipped. What does that mean for us? Well, it means two things. It means that one greater than the storm is with us in our storms. One greater than the storm is with us in our storms. The same God who said in Psalm 107, the same God in Psalm 107 as we saw just a second ago, who hushes the ways of the sea, is the God from Isaiah 43 who says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. One greater than the storm is with us in our storms. That's the first thing to see. The second thing that we need to see is that one greater than the storm will bring an end to all storms. One greater than the storms will bring an end to all storms. In, the, in ancient literature, in ancient times, the storm was a metaphor for, the, for destructive power and for chaos. And so when you get to... The vision in Revelation chapter 21 of the new heavens and the new earth where there is no sea. It's not talking about a waterless eternity. It's talking about a storm-free eternity. The hope of the Christian life is a stormless eternity. God does not promise a storm-free life. He does promise a stormless eternity. The great hymn writer, William Cooper, understood this. William Cooper's life was filled with storms. He lived from 1731 to 1800. He and his brother John were the only two of seven children to survive past infancy. When William was six, his mother died giving birth to John, which had a tremendous effect on on William. William moved from school to school. He was bullied mercilessly in these schools. He began experiencing deep anxiety and depression. He had multiple suicide attempts, both before and after becoming a Christian. His heart was changed. His mental illness remained his entire life. He wrote the hymn, <clears throat> God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And let me just read two verses from it. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And then a couple verses later, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you, that you much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. William Cooper's experience and expectation was not that in this life things would suddenly and magically get better. His hope was in that stormless eternity. When the final wave of God's grace finally broke over him, on that day in which he passed from life in the seen world to life in the unseen realm, awaiting the new heavens and the new earth, he knew that he would experience great mercy from God. Jesus is Lord. He stilled the sea to demonstrate his power. But he is also the God who is present with us. Jesus entered into this storm-filled world to secure a hope that is beyond this world. Let's move on third and finally to the purpose of Jesus through the storm. The purpose of Jesus through the storm. Look again with me at verse 35 On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And we talked about the humanity of Jesus, but Jesus is God. There was nothing about what was about to happen that caught Jesus by surprise. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus into storms. Now, everyone's going to experience storms in this world. It's a fallen and broken world. But to be a follower of Jesus is to follow Jesus into storms. Storms in which he has a purpose. God works in the midst of the storms that we face in order to reveal things to us that we desperately need to know. He reveals things to us about who he is. He reveals things to us about who we are. He reveals things to us about how much we need Him. And finally, He reveals things to us about how much, uh, about how we can depend upon Him through the storm. Our own confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, says this in chapter 5, paragraph 5, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry, other just, and holy ends. In other word, In other words, God ordains storms in the lives of His children for the express purpose of growing them in their love for Him. There's no such thing as a meaningless, purposeless, completely random storm. Trial. Hardship. In the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. God works in these things, good things, for His children. Not... Not necessarily things that are for now. You know, the, the promise is that you know, the promise is not that in the storm we'll come out of the storm with with more unless the promise is more love for him, greater dependence upon him, a greater vision of his faithfulness and his power in our lives. These are things that we can look to. But never a storm-free life. So what's the point of all this? Well The storm is never without purpose. The storm in your life is never without purpose. God's purpose in the storm is always good. Because through the storm, he reorients our faith toward him. Look down at verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now in Luke's account of this, Jesus says, where is your faith? I think this is more of an issue of the fact that what faith they had was not centered on Jesus Christ. They weren't looking to Him. Their eyes were on the waves, their eyes were not on Him. And what God does in the midst of these storms in our lives is turn our eyes toward Him. And what do we find as we do so? We find that He cares. Their question to him was, do you not care that we are perishing? And the response of the Bible is, yes, Jesus cares. Peter learned that. Peter was on this boat. Mark wrote what Peter spoke. Peter was on the boat with Jesus. Peter, based on what we know of Peter, may have been the one who said, don't you care that we're perishing And yet, sometime later, it was Peter who would write, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Jesus does care. He said, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. The world has nothing to offer when it comes to the storms that blow in. Christianity does. Jesus does. But the ultimate proof of his loving concern is not what he did in the boat. It's what he did on the cross. No storm is greater than the storm of God's judgment and wrath. Not even the storm of our physical death is greater than that storm. On the cross, that storm broke over Jesus. And he sank so that you would not. He was not delivered from the storm of God's Judgment, so that you can be if you will look to him in faith. He sank beneath the waves of God's wrath, so that all who look to him in faith never will. The Andrea Gale was doomed to sink beneath the waves, and it may feel like you are doomed to sink beneath the waves as well, but if your hope is in Jesus Christ, you never will. Because Jesus is Lord of the storm, you will never sink beyond the reach of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this glorious reminder of your grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us in the midst of every storm, that you are powerful over the storm. You are indeed Lord of the storm. And that that great storm that we could never, ever face on our own, the storm of God's judgment that we deserve because of our sin, you took that storm in our place. And in so doing, you demonstrated how much you love us. But you also secured for us a storm-less eternity. Until that great day, oh God, would you help us to walk by faith, to trust you, to exhibit more of the faith of Jesus Christ in the midst of all storms. And we ask that you would do this by your grace because apart from your grace, we would never do it ourselves. We ask that you would do it for your glory, that we might be trophies of your grace. And we ask, God, that you would do it for our good so that we, through all the storms of life, may taste and see that you, in fact, are good. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.